Sunday. That's what we're going to do. We're going to proclaim that. So take a good minute, greet those around you. All right, all right, all right. You can fellowship when you have donuts and coffee in a, in a bit here. All right. Well, welcome to Maranatha this morning. We are glad that you're here to celebrate with us on this good October morning as it feels outside. We will have summer for a month and we'll enjoy it. And I also want to welcome those who are watching online. We are glad that you can be with us. Also, to remind you, we have these yellow sheets. This is a way that we can connect with you and you can connect with us. So if you're visiting, please fill that out. If you've got prayer requests, we encourage you to put those prayer requests on there as we love to pray. Those, these are located, some peppered throughout the, the sanctuary here, and then on our welcome desk we have these for you. A couple announcements. We have camp scholarships available. We encourage you to go to camp, and, and we have a lot of those for Arrowhead Bible Camp. So we encourage you, if you have kids, grandkids, get them to camp. Also, we have scholarships available for those who graduated and are pursuing Christian, either a Christian university or some type of Christian service such as YWAM. We have scholarships available for you. And if you have questions about that, contact Pastor Aaron or Pastor Tony. Also, we've got the shooting day coming up June 4th. Pistols only. Um, I'll keep these guns at home. No, just kidding. So, uh, yeah, we got the, the shooting. We're going to be at Randy's place. There's information there. Some of you men have gotten that information sent to you via email. If you don't get any of that stuff, please, on the yellow sheet, put your name down and let's make sure we get you the correct email for that stuff. And then also, lastly, for announcements, we have the... Let me look here. Oh, yeah. So we took those pictures at Easter. If you want some of those photos that we took of you and your family during Easter time, just contact the church and we will email them to you. And uh, we'll get those to you as soon as we can. So if I don't know if we have a picture of that. Oh, that's well, we don't. But anyways, that's all right. So with that. All right. Well, each week we celebrate what the Lord is doing in our church, what's going, yeah, what's happening in our community. And there's just a lot of things. And, and today I want to take a moment and celebrate those who work behind the scenes. Uh, yesterday we had many that showed up and did some stuff here at the church for our spring cleanup, which was awesome. I got called away to an emergency, so I was unable to really engage with that. But we are very grateful for that. But one, I, we got to do this. And uh, gratefully, she's not here because if she was, she'd be mad at me a little bit, but in a smirky way, smile way. Carmen Gill. 
20 years she's been serving our church. Isn't that just a huge, wonderful thing? Our, our joke is, if, if Carmen isn't here on, during the week, we're just shutting down the church. I mean, just put up a sign, unavailable, please call someone. Because without Carmen, we, we just, we don't function as well. And what I can do up here and do all this stuff up front, I could never do. If Carmen was gone for a week, if Stacey was gone for a week, if those behind the scenes were gone for a week, it would just be a disaster. So we are so grateful for someone like Carmen for 20 years has served our church behind the scenes. If she was here, she'd be beat red right now. And uh, you know Carmen. She just, she's like, don't do that, but too bad we're doing it. It's good to honor those who in their service honor the Lord in many, many ways. So she's probably watching this online. She's probably skipping forward if she can. So skip this part, Carmen. But if you're able to, I would encourage you in the next couple of weeks, those of you who know her and have a relation with her, just send her a, a handwritten note. In fact, on Mother's Day, remember Mother's Day, we gave you all those little cards and stuff? She handmade those. I mean, she's, she's unbelievable. So we are so, so grateful. In fact, I remember years ago, seven or so years ago, when I was in the interview process of looking at being the senior pastor here, my, one of my first questions was, is Carmen still here? Yes, okay, good, I'll consider this, this as, a, as a role because she serves in so many ways. So in the next couple of weeks, if you could do a handwritten note, remember what that was like? You'd write letters and lick a stamp. Oh, now they're sticky already. You don't have to do that. But, so let me just take a moment and just let's thank the Lord for Carmen and all that she has done for us. I said, 20 more years, please. And she looked at me like, what? Okay, well, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for hidden servants. Those who serve you through hard times, through joyful times, through just the mundane times. Sometimes I look at the work that I give her or that she does, I just go, how do you do this with joy? But she does. Our church has been so greatly blessed by Carmen Gill. 20 years. What a blessing. And we celebrate how you have used her I ask that you bless her, her family, her grandkids, and her husband. I pray that you would just make this just a special year. And I also thank you that she is so full of your wisdom. She receives so many phone calls that never get to a pastor because she's able to be guided by your Spirit. Give wisdom, give comfort. As someone's looking for help within our church, she's there caring, as we know. And even those who've come off the street looking for counsel, looking for money, looking for something, and they meet Carmen. What a blessing. So I thank you that you've given her a heart of compassion for people, for the poor, for the lost. You've given her a heart for this church. So Lord, we thank you for the hidden servants such as Carmen, such as Stacy, such as those who were cleaning around yesterday. We are so grateful how you sustain all the different aspects of the ministry here for your glory amen amen all right what i want to do today is i want to begin before we get into our passage today in the book of mark i want to read to you some of the words of a very scary song to me when i was in high school there's many scary different ways of defining scary has anybody heard of the gentleman Keith Green? Anyone? Okay, a few of you. All right, more hands than I said when I said Petra. Only a few of us knew that. Keith Green, amazing story. I'd encourage you to get the book called No Compromise. Anybody ever read that book? Okay, you know, get that book. It's great. No Compromise. Keith Green wrote this song, and I remember hearing this. I was more like, because of my mullet and hairdo, I was more into the Christian rock scene. Keith Green was more piano and melodies that we'd sing at church. And I got one of his, a couple of his seat, there were records back then. I got his records, and I remember hearing this song, and I was like, ah, it's, it's short. Skip this song. And one night I heard the words of the song, and I was like, whoa. I literally got those chilled goosebumps where you just go, God forbid this would, this, this became the scary song to me. My eyes are dry. My faith 
is old. My heart is hard. And my prayers are cold. And I remember hearing those words, I'm thinking, God forbid that I would be some old man someday singing this song. That my prayers are cold. That my heart is so hard. I was like, may that not be. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, the spirit of love. Please wash me anew with the wine of your blood. And as a teenager, I thought that would be the scariest thing to be an old guy with gray hair singing this song as a reality. Sitting in a church going, man, my faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers just... And then a year later, I got this DeGarmo and Key album. Started collecting all these records. This then was the antidote in a sense. Take this heart made of clay. Teach me, Lord, to obey. Take this life so easily torn. Take this man. Fill me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to believe how to give, not receive. Take this heart so insecure. Take this man. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Sometimes I feel so downright mean. This heart can be so cold and worn. Your spirit makes me feel so new and clean. When you take me, you break me. Fill me, Lord. Then the chorus, fill me, Lord. Fill me, my Lord. Teach me, Lord, to leave my past for the future comes far too fast. When it's time to cut that silver cord, take this man. Fill me, Lord. What a contrast to the Keith Green song in the beginning where his heart was so hard and his prayers just mundane and old and just it wasn't working. Where this, wash me anew. Fill me, Lord. So we are in this series with Christ in the School of Discipleship. We're looking at Messiahship at times. He's the Messiah. But also we're looking at discipleship. And today is this great cry of looking at the heart. Disciples have true commitment to following Jesus. And it must begin with the heart. So today I'm asking you, look at your heart. Or, as we are going to pray right now, Spirit, move in our hearts, right? So let's take a moment, because this is holy ground. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the beauty of the cross. That You sent Your Son to die for me. He died so I could live. And often, I want to live for You, but I get so caught up in the affairs of this world. or My heart is so hard and I've become cold. But Your Spirit dwells within us. And I ask that You would soften us today. This is a famous passage we're going to look at. It's going to be neat and, and cool to look at, but God, work. Orchestrate this time, Spirit of God, to melt me, to mold me, to shape me. God, I confess at times I've become old, grumpy. My heart is so hard. God, when's the last time I've grieved over my sin? Have I ever shed a tear this year at all about my heart? Spirit, do Your beautiful work. We invite You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen? Alright, so let's get into our passage before... Yeah, so turn to Mark chapter 4. We're getting to Mark chapter 4. Today we're going to go mock speed. In the next couple of weeks we might go fast here. We're going to read 20 verses. 
We now get to kind of the major part of Jesus and His teaching, His method and His styles of parables. Parables are these great stories that He gives. Stories to help convey a message. And again, Mark kind of has this sandwiching effect where he begins a story and then, as Jesus does it, then he throws in something else and then he finishes the story. So what we're going to do is we're going to briefly look at the middle of this section here. We're going to look at this, what are parables? And this is kind of the main parable to understand all parables because of this teaching that Jesus gives. We're just going to briefly look at this because I want to then work on understanding what is said here throughout the next couple of chapters. The purpose of the parables. Mark chapter 4, starting with verse 10. Again, this is the middle. He began talking, so this is the middle. He does this sandwich. Mark does this. you got this middle section here. When Jesus was alone, the twelve and the others around Him asked Him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, and then he's got quotations here, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. (laughs) What? So when I said we're going to look at parables, some of you might go, oh, these are going to be easy to do. In fact, the, the novice preacher, when they go to the parables, are like, oh, parables are easy. Let's begin going through the parables. Let's work through these. Parables are very tough. And they often don't have what we think, oh, parables are there to show light and expose so everyone believes. Where Jesus is going, wait. Those who are on the outside, I give these so they don't understand what's going on here so jesus taught parables not as sermon illustrations although they are good sermon illustrations they're not just cute little stories or spiritual truths easy to understand in a very let's say mindful academic way anyone can read a parable and go okay this is what it means they can read christ's teachings They're not difficult to comprehend. So the average person can read and understand the teachings of Jesus. Here's what I wrote down. They can know what Jesus teaches, but many, because of the condition of their heart, do not believe it. He uses parables to hide God's kingdom from those who are on the outside and reveals it to those who are on the inside the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So when we get into the parables, don't think like, oh, these these are easy stories. I know most of them. They're fun to do. Jesus cautions them. He even pulls them aside. Quotes Isaiah. The emphasis here is it's God's work working in someone's heart so they can understand the beauty of Christ. Not someone on the outside who go, I'll figure this parable out, and I can understand the beauty of God. Throughout Scripture, it's God the primary worker in our hearts, so we can believe, so we can understand. We're the outward person, they don't get it. Not all, he, he gives this call out, He urges people, here's the Gospel, this is what he's going to go out and tell everyone. Calling outwardly to all to believe. However, not all will willingly respond. Some have ears to truly hear the Gospel, but some just have ears and it goes one in one and out the other. And we will talk more about this concept as we go into the parables. So just so you know, parables are not these easy, cute little stories. I'm not going to have all these examples. Sometimes I'll have examples up here which is fun and fine. But Jesus is saying, guess what? Those on the outside, they're not going to get it. God is the primary one working here. And as we will see here, it also is the condition of someone's heart. So now we turn to the 
parable of the sower. In fact, probably in your Bibles, that's what it says. But we will soon see here, I think it would be better to be called the parable of the soils or the parable of hearts as we get into this. So let's go with verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowds gathered around him, so it was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. Well, all the people along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said. So here, Jesus is the cr- crowds are gathering, and it's getting to the point where he's like, all right, we need to do something different. We can't just have a little group here. We can't just sit around by the hillside. We need to now figure out what to do. So he's by the shoreline there, and he says, all right, let's get a boat. So he preaches from a boat. And this makes it easier, number one, for people to see Jesus. He's set apart, you know, he's kind of there, and there's the audience. And using the lake, it amplifies his voice. More so people can hear him. Like most of Jesus' parables, The parable is based on the experiences here of those living in the Galilean area of the first century. So many of the parables, people then understand maybe more than we could today. But for us living in Barron County, we understand this one very well. Look at verse 3. Listen! We hear this often. Jesus will say, listen, hear! Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So in those days, a farmer did things differently than we might today and how they would sow the seed they would put the seed out before plowing they wouldn't break up the ground they might break it up a little bit, but they would first throw out the seed and the seeds would land in different places this is kind of like what i have to do every spring the way our driveway is and maybe because the way we put the snow and we shovel it and we put salt on the edge of my driveway the grass is all gone and just nasty so i take a handful of seeds in a little pail and kind of throw it out there I just kind of randomly put it out there and some falls right where it should. Some falls on the driveway. And I don't, I don't get like a big plow and you know, I don't you know, do all that. Then what I do is then I take a rake and kind of rake it in. I get a bag of seed, kind of dump it all over. Farmers, when you plant a seed, the main goal isn't just so you can do more work. And nowadays with the price of fuel, you don't do it just to burn up all your diesel. No, no. The primary goal of planting seeds is to get a harvest, to get a crop, to get fruit, produce something. That's the primary goal. And the best gardens, the best fields, are those that have the best soil. Now when I throw the seed out on the side of my driveway, some of it lands on the driveway. It's not going to really grow because there's no way it can dig into soil, dig into the concrete. It doesn't do that. The best gardens are the ones that have the best soil. One thing that we hate dealing with is bad soil, rocks. The way In the area that we live in, I've been out rock picking with some farmers. The rocks that pop up, it's like, why are these rocks? We want good soil no rocks or weeds i don't like weeds that's one of the reasons my wife said no more gardens i don't like picking weeds or the animals the deer yummy deer the animals that come by and eat up all the stuff how many of you had deer eat any of your gardens right look at all the hands out there so we want the right conditions of the soil 
So Jesus talks about four different kinds of soil. One is, as you see here, the path. Like my driveway. There's no way nothing can grow. It's just there. And the seeds are right there. You've got this path. Then the next one is more of a rocky area where there's some soil, but it's rocky and things grow a little bit, but it just doesn't make it. Then there's ones full of thorns and weeds and I'm the best weed gardener there is. That's why my wife said no more. Or there's good soil. But notice there's problems. There's problems like here. I've kind of colored it so you can see the birds. The problems are animals. The birds. I'm sure the birds in my area love it when I put all that grass seed. Really, the birds like the backyard because my wife has the bird feeder and it's just now there's stuff growing all around it. They're loving it. And squirrels love it too. It's right there, so the birds come and take it. It's interesting that birds in the Old Testament often are the bad guys and connected sometimes with Satan. They can be used as good instruments, but here the birds come. And then you got the rocky soil. Yeah, it begins to grow, but then the sun comes and it just dries up as the passage said. It grows really quick. It's Everyone's like, whoa, look how nice that is. But it doesn't grow deep, and the sun scorches it. The way we would understand that would be this. In our area, we've got trees that sometimes grow quickly. The roots don't go deep. They go out. You've seen that, right? The wind blows, and boom, you got this big, weird-looking tree with all the roots exposed. Then you've got the thorns. They choke out the plant. All the weeds, all the thorns growing up. But then you've got this great good soil that produces what you want, this great crop. And it's only the fourth soil that gives what is needed for true growth. It's the dark, rich soil full of nutrients, watered. And the seed that is spread out not only grows, but it produces fruit up to a hundred times. It's an amazing harvest. The yield is great. So Jesus begins with this story that they understand, and we here, we understand this. Then Jesus gives an interpretation of the parable of the four soils of the heart. Jesus gives an explanation, and often He doesn't. So that's why sometimes the parables are sometimes hard to understand. It's very interesting in church history how many people, there are hundreds of interpretations of some of the parables. Even this one has dozens of different ways of understanding parables. It's just unique. But here Jesus gives an explanation of this story that has a deeper meaning than just a class on agriculture. Here's how you do a garden. He's not just trying to do that. He's giving us a story. And he addresses here the condition of the heart. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? Because remember, we now jump to verse uh, 13. Remember, he pulled them aside and said, hey, here's the deal. Parables are going to be hard. You guys understand, and some who are on the outside will not understand. Here is a call to carefully listen to what Jesus... Look at verse 3. Look at verse 9. Listen. Ears to hear. Because not all that is said here is evident right away. So this morning, look at me. Are you listening to the Spirit of God working right now in your heart? Because if you don't, you'll be in trouble. Let me give you an example. I remember when I was in Seattle area, we were there for three and a half years, and I joined a mountaineering group, did a lot of mountaineering training, Became a part, very briefly, of Mountain Rescue Unit, the Olympic Mountain Rescue Unit out there. And I remember doing a lot of mountaineering stuff. And I love mountains. I love snow fields, alpine. I'm a peak bagger. I just wanted to get to the top, you know. And just, I knew how to do it safely. At times, I wouldn't get to the top. I'm 300 feet from the top. And I just knew the conditions aren't right. Get back home. The number one goal of mountaineering is getting back safe, not getting to the summit. So I remember there was a couple guys in the church. I'm like, let's go out to the snow field. Let's go have some fun. I'll teach you guys some stuff I'm learning. And there was one guy, grew up his whole life, 
in that county. He knew mountains. He knew everything. He kind of had this attitude like, I'm smarter than everyone else. Uh, Cody, you're from Wisconsin. In Appleton, we had Mosquito Hill. That's the closest I had, right? And he looked at me, you're going to teach me about mountains? I'm like, dude, I just went through these classes. I've been learning a lot. Let's go up. Here's my mountaineering act. To use one. Got a bunch. Let's go up there. And he's like, I, I, I'm just going to go and show you how to do it. And I remember, a little bit older than me, and he was like, yeah, was, we got up there, and, and he, he burnt out right away because we were going through the snowfields. I was kicking steps and, and helping him through. And we got up there, and he, you know, we did some climbing. I, I, I like a, multiple different things when I'm up in the mountains. And I said, all right, now we're in a glissade. Anybody hear of that word before? I didn't think so. Glissading is a unique way of sliding down quickly through a mountain, through a snowfield, using your mountain axe. And, and I said, here's how you do it, because if you don't do it right, this mountaineering axe will turn and stab you, rip your clothes, you could get you know, impaled, it's very dangerous. He's like, I know how to do this stuff. He wasn't listening. That guy almost got seriously hurt. He went flying down, yelling, laughing, and he, was, he didn't know what he was doing. And that, the mountaineering axe went flying, and he just went down, and gratefully we weren't in a dangerous area, and he sl- slowed down, and we did it the right way. Kind of showed him, but he still wouldn't listen. Please look at me. Today and every Sunday I ask, are you listening to the Spirit of God? He's here, present. You don't have to conjure Him up or play special songs for the Spirit to be here. When you're sleeping, the Spirit is always with you. So I ask right now, listen to these words. Verse 14, here, the farmer sows the word. So here is the sower. The farmer is the one sowing. God is the one who is giving out this great message. His word among all types of people, all different types of heart, the word of God is getting out there. In the New Testament, we see that often the one who is the farmer, the one who's giving out the word, we see this gospel, is Jesus. But also we see in the New Testament later in the book of Acts, it's also the apostles. It's those who preach the word of God. Those who give it out, those who sow the seed, are also believers. But here, it's God is the one who is the sower. And the seed, the seed scattered, represents the gospel message. Here we have an image of preaching and sharing God's Word. And Jesus sees the Gospel as a message that must be preached to all different types of people. No matter the condition of the heart, the Word needs to get out there. And we'll see in this interpretation that Jesus gives here that the seed is sown not just in soils, but in hearts. Let's look at verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the Word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the Word that is sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the Word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the Word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the Word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the Word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. So before we look at the four different conditions of a heart, let me take a moment and talk about how people respond to the Gospel. Ultimately, again, verses 10, 11, 12, it's God who is the primary mover. God's the One. But it's helpful to know that prior to turning to Christ, People are at different places and stages. Their hearts are in different conditions. Different various degrees of coming to Christ. To be born again. To believe the truth. 
So there's this scale, angle. Take a look at this picture here. This is a scale that I looked at when I was in grad school. I remember seeing this scale and this, this all became, I was like, I understand this. What he has done is he's done from minus 10 to zero. Zero is where people then have repentance and faith. They become born again. But prior to that, people are at different stages of their heart's hardness, you could say, or phases of how they're receptive to Christ. This maps out the stages that we may have so we can have a better understanding of someone's interest in the Christian faith. And then when I'm meeting someone, I can then gauge, hey, they're at negative 7. They're at not negative 2. Thus, they're at negative 7. What do I need to help them then realize in this stage that they're at? And then I can gauge and then have my conversation in a helpful way to then maybe move them from negative 7 to negative 5. And then maybe next year, someone at their work will move them from negative 5 to negative 3. Does that make sense? So taking a look at this, you may not see this so... Negative 10, they have no framework of God. Total atheist. Anybody know someone like that? I do. No framework of God. Nope, there's no God. Not at all. So because of that, I don't just crack open the Bible and say, hey, look at this great truth. It is truth. It's important to do that. But in their mind, they're going to be like, what? Uh, that, that's not even within their realm. I need to figure out, okay, they're at negative 10. How can I then move them to the next couple stages here? Yes, this is truth. So I use the Word of God, but I may not crack open the Bible right away. When I was in China, I realized, you know, just grabbing Bibles and showing, I need to then be wise in how I do that. It's interesting in Acts chapter 13 and 14. The, the message is given to those who believe. They understand, so they use the Word of God. Then they move more north in the area. They have no comprehension of the Messiah. So then they begin preaching the Gospel in a different way, soon to get them to God's Word, but looking at creation around them. No framework of God. No, negative nine, an experience of emptiness. These people have an emptiness that only God can fill. Number eight, a vague awareness of Christianity. And here would be an agnostic, maybe, from atheism. They kind of, okay, there, there's all these different religions out there. Which one's true? There, there's, there, there's probably a God out there, and uh, I need to figure this out. So they have an awareness of it. Negative se seven, they have an interest in Christ. Negative six, an awareness of the Gospel. Then negative five, a positive attitude towards Christ. Number four, an experience of Christian love. This is key. People, many people come to the Lord who are on this scale who are so hard and cold. What it is, it's, as Jesus said, it's your love that people know you're my disciple. It's through the love that we show that we'll start helping them. Negative three, and aware of the need of a Savior. Negative two, an understanding of the effects of the Gospel. Number two is where they understand the components of the Gospel message, of the need of salvation of the destiny of those who are not in Christ, eternal damnation in hell, or the beauty of heaven, in all these aspects. And number one is this challenge to respond personally to Jesus. Hopefully this, this helps because people's hearts are in different areas. I thought of this because I'm going to be heading to Appleton this, this week for a conference, and I thought of when I was in high school, there was this guy, again, I was crazy Cody. I had my mullet and I had this jean jacket with this big red cross on the back and had my Bible and just, I was just crazy. My nickname was Billy Graham's son. And, and uh, people made fun of me and I, you know, I had no friends, but that was fine. But I, you know, it, it was a great time. Great time of harvest. When I was done, my senior year, I led 20, 20 some kids to the Lord. It was just awesome. But there was one dude, Corey. Oh. He had long hair like mine, but mine was a cooler mullet. His was just all long. He had different band t-shirts than I did. And he would walk around, and he'd see me with my Bible, and he'd go, Satan. And I was like, Corey. I didn't know this scale yet, but he was at negative 10. Well, really, he was probably at negative 9 or you know, 8 there because he understood there was a good and a bad. And he would at times take my Bible, throw it down, spit on it and go, ah, you know, and I'm, I'm going to give curses to you. And I was like, Satan's a grape. 
God's the mighty one, right? So I pray for Corey. We were kind of the extremes in our school. He had the bands that had like pentagrams on his shirt and you know all that stuff and i had these big jesus t-shirts i mean just two some of the kids are probably like at least two different clowns here did my best to share the beauty of christ with Corey. we'd hang out on college avenue and he'd be there with his buddies in leather jacket and chains and i'd be with my jesus jacket big cross and be like later i found out that through, I think it was his work where he worked, there were some Christians there that got to befriend him. And he moved from negative 8, 9 to negative 4. Then, when I graduated college, I found out he was at negative 1. And I began to pray. And then, today, he's a believer. I didn't have any part in the later stages. I was maybe at that 8, 9 part showing that there is a God. Jesus is real. While He's trying to do His Satan stuff, I was doing my Jesus stuff, right? I was only part of the system where God was using me at negative 8, negative 9, that area. Then the Lord brought others along and today, I'm going to try to find Him if I get to Appleton, find out where He's at. I think today He's at a church in Appleton praising God. You know what? That takes the burden here. This is important. That takes the burden off me, doesn't it? It's not my work and like, oh, I got to get Corey to heaven. I got to do all my work. Come up with all these cool analogies. Oh, apologetics are awesome. One of my daughters is dealing with someone at Cameron School who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe the Bible. How can that be real? And she's watching these apologetic videos and the youth group has helped in many ways. Those are great. A person may be at negative seven and I will help them move to negative five. And I'll keep praying for Corey. I'll keep praying for others. And the, but the Lord is the one who does it, right? The burden's off of me. I will do what I am called to do. God, not us, prepares the heart of people. He's the one that works so they can receive the Gospel. And He alone can grant faith. Listen to this out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, I planted the seed... Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Who's the one that does the Yeah, I do some work. I might be a seed planter at times. I might be watering at times. But who's the one that makes it grow? God, not me. So I hope that helps how people respond to the Gospel. Let's look at the four different kinds of hearts. Jesus likens the soil of the field and land to different kinds of hearts of people. Everybody falls into one of these four categories. So look at me again. One of these categories, maybe two, are you. Which of these are you this morning? The first three are unfruitful. Ones who respond with less than saving faith. They don't respond in saving faith. They respond in different ways. First is the hard heart. It's hard. The seed doesn't go in at all. It's hard. There's no response. And then evil enticement. Satan comes and snatches it away right away. No chance because the heart is so hard. And it's the hard heart that allows Satan to do pretty serious stuff maybe you know people that have got that hard heart they will not budge that's the first one the second one is the shallow heart there's a temporary superficial looking at god looking at jesus looking at the beauty of christ all begins to grow and some people like oh look at something's happening here it's superficial without true commitment not right away but later it withers like a falling away person in in my heart i've seen many even people who come to our church for a brief time oh this is great oh yeah i'll follow jesus but then 
There's no depth. Poof, they're gone. They wither away. Then there's the divided heart. There's interest, some conviction, some truth, but it falls short. They don't fully anchor into the truth because there's no real discipleship. And they get caught up in the affairs of this world and things choke them out. They play with sin. They kind of go, sin's not that bad. It's destructive, people. And here's where many Christians, I believe, are. They kind of get in the world, the, the ideology of the world and the philosophy of the world and they kind of mix that with their thought. They, they, they stray from this right here, this truth. They get enticed by, oh, yeah, maybe this isn't you know, the right thing. Or, and they try to find other things and they don't stick to the truth. They get choked out by deception. This is a divided heart. God grants us understanding. And our hearts respond by belief and repentance. God is the one who grants. God is the one who's growing it. He's the one that does it. And out of that, then we can have belief, repentance. He grows so we can then bear fruit. And then you got the fruitful heart. This one is fruitful. It's in the fruitful soil. It's in the right conditions. And they respond with obedience and perseverance. We get that based upon what choked out the last couple seeds and growth. They weren't obedient. They didn't persevere. They let trials, they let other things sway them. Here, it's obedience, perseverance that demonstrates this true regeneration. So I think I take a look at the next slide. Sorry, yeah. So here is kind of a summary of what Jesus is saying. You got the path, you got the rocky, you got the thorns, you got this good soil. In that, really, it's a hard heart. Really, it's the shallow one, or it's the one that's divided, or the one that has the right conditions, a fruitful heart. In this, you got birds, which are like Satan. Satan is real destroying as he can but then you've got trouble and persecution that come and i've seen that people join christianity think oh this is this will give me a happy life and then troubles come and they anchored it on the wrong understanding of what real christianity is about it's the beauty of christ or thorns choked out the worries of life and the crop accepting the teaching of christ and growing in that and we see this where the first part are the leaders the leaders have been following Jesus. The religious people have been following. And their hearts are so hard. We saw the verse, that remember last Sunday? That they are so close to committing that unpardonable sin. Rejection of Jesus completely. Their hearts are so hard. But then the other two groups are the crowds. Gathering around on the fringe, on the outside, even at this time, his family's on the outside, remember? Two Sundays ago. They're, they're like, let's, let's grab him. Jesus, you're going crazy. No, no, get back to the normal life. They're on the outside. Gratefully, we see that his family then becomes aware of the beauty of what God is doing in Jesus, the Messiah. And then the soil, the disciples. So let's end with this. Where are you at with God? Let me just give you two things to think about. Number one, those around you. I encourage you, use this often. There are people out there who are literally dying and spiritually dying. Know this truth so you can help them. Know the beauty of Jesus so you can help them. And as you see those around you, some of you, because of your education, because of your upbringing, you're here in Barron County, Chippewa County, whatever, Russ County, wherever you live, you're here because that's just the way the cards have landed. You chose this. You chose your occupation. Some of you are wishing you could have done things differently. Oh, but don't you know that God has sovereignly placed you in your 
job in your neighborhood, in the community of people you're with, for his purposes. This is not randomly that you're here by chance, and this is where you live because that's, you know, I'm doing what my dad did, I'm doing what my family did, now I got the business, and that's just how it is. Know your role in God's work of the mission field. He's placed you here for the purpose of throwing out that seed. Don't just be selective. Well, I'm just going to give it to these people because they're nice to me. These people don't like me. Get the message out. You have been placed sovereignly in this area at this time. If it was up to me, I would have loved to have been born in the 1800s, be on a horse with an awesome pistol, six-shooter with the name Cody. Why not, right? But he said, no, Wisconsin, here's where you're going to be. Know your role and position in the harvest, in the mission field. And look around. Some of you know people at negative 9, negative 8, negative 7, and you're just like, oh, these people. When will they see? Look at me. Do this. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would do it, right? He sends out workers. He will do things. Maybe you've got friends. Maybe you've got family members who don't know Christ that live in a different state. Pray that co-workers would come and meet them. They'll be at negative 7, and because of that co-worker, then they'll move to negative 5. Wouldn't that be great? The negative 4 is they'll see the love of Christ. In this area, I pray that you would be more loving than condemning. One of the problems with us Christians is we look and act like we got it all together. I'm so shiny on the outside. I hope you be like me someday where you can quit chasing girls and, and quit drinking and, you know, oh, I'm clean. What? The goal is that they would not see you. They would see Jesus, right? The beauty of Christ. So right now, even searching your heart. Maybe you've got that jagged edge that offends so many people. I'm embarrassed by some Christians who are so jagged in the heart. They're so narrowly blinded. Just, and they offend so many Christians and other people because they think they got it right. And they are not known by love. So, go out there. Scatter that seed. Let people see Jesus, right? Let them see it in love. But here, know the condition of their heart. Maybe you'll move them to from six, negative six to negative four, and that's your only role. Great, keep praying, and maybe you'll have a Corey in your life where you can be like, you're a Christian now? This is crazy. I even got the Bible he spit on and threw down. It's in my office. I might bring it up. You used to trash on this thing. You have it now. Take it to church. That'd be great. George Mueller. Anybody hear George Mueller before? That guy. If you want to learn about prayer, read George Mueller. Unbelievable. He prayed and prayed and prayed. And God answered and answered and answered. But not always the way he thought. In fact, he prayed for one person for 50 years to know Christ. Never happened. But at George Mueller's funeral, that's where the guy received Christ. Never stop doing this. Amen? Look around at the hearts around you. Know your place. Do your work. But ultimately know it's God's work moving people closer to Him. Then lastly this. Where's your heart? Don't get choked up in the affairs of this world. Don't be so shallow and be like, oh yeah, I'll come to church and, and just be, you know, whatever and be part of the crowd and just kind of, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yep, check that box. Again, Mark is going to just hammer down. This is what a true disciple is. One who truly receives His Word, follows Christ, willingly 
to abandon the affairs of this world, willing at times to look like a fool for Christ, to love others in ways, to to give up sleep, to be praying more. Follow Christ with obedience and perseverance and cutting away sin. We'll see more and more what it means to be a disciple as we go. I need to learn what it looks like. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for parables. And I thank you, yeah, they they are fun. They're going to be great to go through. And and Mark, it's interesting, Mark doesn't really deal as much as parables as Matthew does or as Luke does. In fact, Mark, some of his parables are much shorter than what are shown in Matthew and Luke. But today I ask that you would help us realize that it's the Spirit working so we can understand you. It's not that I figured it out, that I like, oh, I kind of sorted it out, like, okay, yep, out of all the religions, God's the right one, and yeah, okay, yep, uh, Jesus is the right one. You're the one. I was dead. You're the one who gave me life so I could understand and believe, and I ask, Spirit of God, all of us I know have family members who do not yet know you. Spirit, today I ask, In whatever way you choose, you help those people in our families come to know you more. Maybe move them from negative seven to negative four. I would ask the zero today that they repent and believe, but in your time, in your work, move in our family members' lives who fight against you. And God, if possible, use frail people like us to show them your love. And lastly, I ask for each of us in this room, forgive us because our prayers have become cold. Our hearts are hard. My faith is weak. But fill me, Lord. Fill me, my Lord. Cleanse me anew. May my desires be for You May they outweigh any desire I have. Let me see the beauty of Christ. Let me walk in obedience. Help me, train me, so I can be that fruitful son, child, daughter of God. Our lives are yours. You died for me. I will live for you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and join us in our last few songs.